Welcome to Central Coast Voices, a program addressing the ramifications of change in our communities and beyond, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is a project of Action for Healthy Communities and presented in collaboration with KCBX and the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County. Today, join Fred Monroe as he speaks with guests with the Paso Robles Cabernet and Bordeaux Collective. They will discuss the study which they recently released, which outlines a plan for a sustainable future amid climate change for the wine industry. You are invited to listen, learn, and participate in this conversation. We are once again able to take your live calls at 805-781-3875. Hi, Fred. Let's get started. Glad to see you today, anyway. I, I say, I realize sometimes when I say glad to see you today, I realize we're on radio and I can see you and you can see me and we can see the guests, but everyone else just has to listen. Good afternoon. This is Fred Monroe. Glad you're joining us today. Um, we really look at a lot of things on Central Coast Voices, and the this is an interesting one that probably needs some some pre-information, if you will, and that is this really is a program um, that's focused on the issues of climate change and how we are addressing the environment we live in. Um, it's a program about wine, and we're going to talk about wine, but what we're also talking about is the fact that how climate change affects the sustainability of agriculture is really, really a, a, a key element that gets um, in, not in the way, but gets in uh, in the discussion. And sometimes it hasn't been in the discussion often enough. Today we want to make it more of that discussion. The Paso Robles CAB Collective, that CAB stands for Cabernet and Bordeaux, um, is an organization that is doing a lot, not only towards the betterment of the wine industry, but looking at our overall environment. Today, my guests are Kane uh, Thompson. He is the managing director for Robert Hall Winery, and he's a board member with the collective. And Linda Park- Parker Sanpei, who serves as the executive director of the, of the collective. And we really want to look today at uh, an interesting concept from my perspective, and that is a lot of people see the wine industry as um, a clever nuisance, if you will, in our agricultural community, when in reality for the state of California overall, it is really a very key factor in the overall agriculture of San Luis Obispo County and the state of California. This isn't just about a good glass of wine. This is how we maintain an environment that is going to be sustainable for a long time because organizations like the Cab Collective and Robert Hall Winery would like to be around for a long time, and if we don't find a way to address climate change, it's going to be tough to do that. I'm, I'm not quite sure where we, we, um, we begin. Probably the, the key question is, um, to my guests, is do you find that there are people who are still skeptical enough about the issues of climate change that it gets involved in your everyday work? That's question number one. And question number two is, um, what is it about the Cab Collective that, that got you so much notice from the State Department of Agriculture that you've actually had a couple of grants, one of them almost a quarter of a million dollars, to look at this issue? Um, Kane, you want to 
yeah, jump in and, and yeah, approach this sure. discussion? I think from a macro level, the wine industry uh, understands that climate change is real, and if we don't do something about it, uh, there's going to be we're going to have a problem uh, in the long term and maybe even the medium term. So there's a lot of camaraderie, there's a lot of collaboration, a lot of will around actually doing something about this so we can have vines that are 50, 100, 200 years old uh, in an environment that is warming, uh, there's more uh, carbon in the atmosphere, there's less water to use. And so when we look at the risks uh, as a wine region for the next 100 years, uh, water, carbon, our soils, uh, they're going to play a major factor whether we're going to be able to sustainably farm in the long run. So, Linda, what is the, the, I guess, the origin, if you will, be, because I'm sure the origin has more to do with than just the sustainability of agriculture and the issues of climate change for the, for the very existence of your organization. Absolutely. The organization was formed in 2012. Um, it was the brainchild of Daniel Dow, Dow Vineyards, and um, several other founding members who came together to, with the vision of placing Paso Robles on the global stage for the quality of Cabernets that we can produce in this region. Um, it has been a, traditionally a marketing-focused organization, focused on marketing to trade and media, so that we can get the word out across the country, and now the word is going across the world for the quality of wines that we have in Paso Robles. In a short 10 years, we are now outpacing sales of premium wine Cabernet over any other region in the U.S., which is remarkable. We were just named the number one wine region in the U.S. by USA Today, other great accolades on that particular roster as well. And so we've done a lot in a short period of time. But what we want to do moving forward is, again, a lot in a short period of time because we see where climate change is really going to affect what we can do and the quality, potentially the quality of what we can do in the future. And as Kane has come on board to the board of directors uh, about two years ago, he has really brought with him his values and his constitution for sustainable farming, uh, regenerative farming, and other technologies that he has brought to the table to the cab collector so that we can all come together as, as an organization to look again into the future of 10, 20, and 50 years and beyond. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about some of the origins of the organization and, and Dow, because um, I, for, the, for people who may not have caught this on the news yet, the, um, the Dow brothers basically um, sold that winery to an international organization for almost a billion dollars, mm -hmm. and that was just announced within the last week. That's correct. That that says a lot for the not only the, the noticeability, if you will, of our wines, but for the significance of them on the world stage. Um, and so what, what you're doing and what they're doing is obviously a, a cr critical factor in this process. You're absolutely correct. What they have done in a very short period of time has really raised the tide for all boats in the region. And it really was their vision and that of the Founding Fathers and all the members, the 26 members of the CAB Collective, to continually push the envelope, not only from a communications and marketing perspective, but also from a quality, value, and future uh, vision perspective and sustainability's forefront on that. So this is the study that I alluded to in the introduction is actually the second grant or the second study that you have received grant funds for. Can you, can you give me some history on, 
on both of those grants? Absolutely. The first grant was a Western Star grant provided by the University of Montana, and it was a research grant for the obstacles in sustainability. So for that particular grant, we brought together members of uh, the Paso Robles Cap Collective in different verticals, be it from sales, marketing, production, viticulture, agriculture, and um, really to look at what they perceived in their various verticals to be the obstacles to sustainability through climate change. Um, with the knowledge of what they provided us, we then created what uh, it would have been a traditional survey, but we used AI technology for it we, through unanimous AI. We brought folks in virtually. Um, we brought 60 folks in virtually on the computer to answer a series of 47 questions that really gave us some insights and predictive answers to certain questions, whether it is what is the, the issues around water or the lack of water, what are the issues around production um, and or, or marketing. So we got a lot of deep insights into where we should be steering our ship in the future, and that has enabled us to go after larger grants yet. So if we want to just look at what you consider and what the industry considers the main obstacles. Um, to, uh, what are the top five or the top ten, depending on yeah, how long the list is? Yeah. I realize the list may be 35. Yeah, but. sure. Certainly water's one of the large uh, issues facing all growers in uh, all through California. So what do, we, what do we do about water and how we use that precious resource to farm our, farm our vines? Can we dry farm? Uh, is there innovation uh, around rootstocks and clones? Uh, is there uh, the ability to look at uh, protecting our soils through cover crops and reducing transpiration so the, water, the land holds more water? So there's a lot of opportunity around uh, that that the survey helped uh, identify. Uh, also in regards to cover cropping, when we look at our vineyards uh, in Paso Robles, when we look at cover crops, everyone's using the same cover crop that's been used for n- numerous years. It's a... Uh, annual base species there's three two or three species and these species die off in the middle of summer so let me let me interject just for people yeah. who may not be define what a cr- cover crop cover crop is. yeah so a cover crop is a selection of plants that are planted in in between the rows of a vineyard and it is meant to serve some type of function and purpose that can either be to add diversity, to bring beneficial insects in, uh, to add organic matter uh, to the soils. But not a lot of research has been done around what actually works best for passerobles. And so what this study has helped uh, identify is there's a need for uh, cover crops specifically for passerobles. That's multi-species, that's perennial, that's native, that can consist of 15 to 20 different species that form different functions throughout the year and that stays alive whether that's carbon sequestration whether that's protecting the soil bringing in more uh, diversity in terms of insects and predators so we can create these really polycultural diverse growing systems rather than these monocultural systems that you see kind of all around uh, California and I would assume you want to make sure that your cover crops are not disproportionately using up your water supply, if you will. Uh, yes, so I- exactly. And so that's often the conundrum is that 
whatever is planted needs to survive with very, very little water. And some of the research that's been done in other parts of the world has actually shown that when a cover crop is in, in place, uh, it is actually not using that much water comparatively to the water through the sheer shading of the soil that's actually taking place. So it's reducing the temperature of the bare soil uh, to allow the soil to hold more moisture. And so we find that as a cab collective really interesting. And so uh, where we're going moving forward is designing this cover crop species mix is kind of outcome of some of this research. Uh, so we can tackle climate change head on with these diverse cover cropping systems. Yeah. You, we're talking about sustainability and we're talking about sustainability that is not not surprisingly tied to water supply. Um, going back <laughs> my age, going back fifty years ago when I started drinking wine, and when I first um, toured in the the Paso Robles area was not very active. I actually was up in the Napa area, um, living in the Bay Area for a while. One of the things that was a key um, pride of process for for Napa wineries was the more wine grapes they could produce that were dry farmed if you will without irrigation was a was a key factor it's become to my perspective somewhat unrealistic to to kind of maintain that kind of activity in in Napa and Sonoma area it was a climate that allowed that to become a lot of um, what what worked well because of the amount of groundwater in Paso Robles area. Even though we are we are surpassing the Napa area for for production and for recognition of the wines we're producing, um, we have a lower water table in in the region. And I'm wondering, does that become difficult to balance out? with what Paso Robles does to effectively produce um, at a reasonable cost benefit compared to regions that may still be doing most of their um, their grape cultivation and processing in a, um, a non-irrigated environment? Yeah, it's a good <clears throat> question and certainly uh, and probably too not, long a question, I well, apologize. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, uh, I think when you look at Paso as well, there are a number of uh, vineyards that are uh, dry farmed, and there's a direct correlation between uh, a lot of those older vineyards in Napa and Sonoma than also Paso that are dry farmed. And you look at some of the uh, other wine regions of the world where dry farming takes place, like Australia, where I've spent some time uh, in as well. When we look at Paso and the going forward and in the last 10, 15, 20 years, it has got warmer, it has got drier, we are having less rainfall, so dry farming has become more challenging. But at the same time, how do we take some of those learnings from around the, around the world and mitigate and utilize the water that we have in a regulated like deficit irrigation, so we're being more controlled with the water that we have uh, but by taking some of the learnings from other parts of the world, but then also looking forward, which is what this research is going to allow us to do, around innovation in regards to how we deliver water to the vine, because it is a sacred uh, resource and scarce resource. Uh, and then also the vine itself. Uh, 
where's the research and innovation in rootstock? So the rootstock is the portion of the vine that goes down into the soil. The variety uh, sits on top of the rootstock. And when we plant a vineyard, the rootstock is about a foot long. It goes into the soil, and then we expect that roots to grow deep and go down. Uh, is there research that's been done with long rootstocks that we're planting the vine deep down into the soil? Are there, is there res research with uh, more vigorous rootstocks that gets the roots going deeper, quicker, uh, using less water, being uh, salinity uh, resistant? So what we're really excited about going forward is uh, some of this grant money gets to go towards helping us solve some of these big macro issues uh, not only specifically for Paso, but the wider industry as a whole. Yeah, it's in, you mentioned wider industry as a whole. I, I think um, sometimes folks forget that um, e even though we're a different wine region than the Napa, we're a different wine region than the Lodi area where there's still some Zinvindel production. Um, as an industry, you talk to each other. Yeah. And you talk to each other. Even it's you know it's not difficult to talk to your colleagues, um, in in the other areas of the country, in the other areas of the the world, that may be facing similar problems, um, that goes far beyond um, the quality of the wine and the product produced, but the sustainability of being able to produce it all. It, completely. And when it comes to these macro issues and climate change. There are no competitors within us, and that's what's so great about the Cab Collective is that we're uniting and taking this battle head on to fight it, fight it together, and that's what's so exciting and encouraging about the group and being able to get a grant like this to really proactively do something about it because it's very easy not to, but we can't do nothing and just sit there and watch our lands get drier, topsoil erode. And our yields get lower over over time to the point where we end up where we can't farm this beautiful place. And you've seen in civilizations all across the world where nothing is done about it, what ends up happening is that the vine or the plant or the crop is moved to an area that does have that resource of water and topsoil and the ability to grow. And so you look across the history of civilization, when it gets when that is not solved civilizations move and go to the new areas but we can't keep doing that because we run out of areas to repopulate and to develop yeah Fi finding new water sources is <laughs> gold is <laughs> i suspect what we're doing is not trying to find new water sources but trying to find ways to um sequester, if you will, in some cases, the, um, the water we have. I'm, I'm curious, and, and this may be slightly off topic, and I apologize. We had a very wet winter last winter, mm -hmm. and the wine industry had their first production from that winter about two months, a month and a half ago. We're still in it, actually. Still in, <laughs> still in um, what what did you learn from and what has happened to having had so many years of drought and having to work a lot with more um, dry farming than you wanted? And then lo and behold, out of nowhere, a year of like twice as much rain as you'd expect to have. Um, 
yeah woke you up one day yeah certainly it was a it was a blessing really to having that much water really topped up uh aquifers uh, recharged the soils so the season started with for one of the first times in a long time a really full soil profile that allowed the vine to get off to a really rapid start so it allowed us to not irrigate for like a really long period Uh, then we've had a cooler summer as well so we had this extended growing season which uh, has really felt more like I'm originally from New Zealand uh, a cool climate uh, season where fruit ripens right at the tail end of the season but what that allows is you get all this flavor color complexity uh, in the wines Um, so that wet weather right at the start of the season really set us up for a strong uh, strong season where we actually haven't had to irrigate a lot uh, apart from right, right at the tail end of the season yeah the flip side of that after so many years of of lower production and and drought conditions, did you end up with a, and I I realize it may be too early in the process to know this for sure, what's going to work out for wines this year, um, but did you end up with production of grapes that literally have different characteristics than you either expected um, or than you're used to? Not not really, because what happens is that the the quantity of the crop is set in the year prior. So all the initiation takes place you know, in the buds the year prior. So uh, you're coming into this season, you kind of set with what was developed last season into the new season. Uh, but having said that, the crops were like a medium size coming in uh, and then coming through that period, we had good shoot growth, good bunch development. So the yields are... Uh, moderate they're certainly not heavy um, but it did mean like less uh, less crop thinning um, was required yeah I want to remind folks that we are talking with folks from the uh, Paso Robles Cab Collective which is the Cabernet and Bordeaux Collective and their work with sustainability and we'll get into more details about it in a few minutes a uh, wonderful grant they received for almost a quarter million dollars from the State Department of Agriculture to look at the sustainability issues. You can give us a call at 805-781-3875. That's 805-781-3875. If you have some, uh, some thoughts to add to this discussion or some questions for our guests, um, we, can, we can look at that. Um, Linda, what we may want to do is um, we, ha- we haven't gotten too much in detail about it, what is the nature of the language of the grant and how specifically is it going to be used? Because I suspect that that wine production doesn't often get um, grants of this nature, but we also are dealing with an environment that is very challenging right now. Yes, and we certainly positioned it as such that uh, as we look forward and the, the magnitude of the wine industry and its impact on our regional culture and our, our regional economy is really vital. Um, so uh, as the USDA or the California um, Commission looks at what the Paso Robles region is doing, uh, 
within the region and its contribution to the state. It really is vital that our region, along with other regions, really look at sustainability of this economy and this product um, for the long term, and we positioned it as such. So um, in obtaining this grant, it is actually uh, it is a, a research grant in 24 of our vineyards, and it covers uh, it covers a, a host of different verticals. Uh, to name a few, transition to organic, some have opted for. Other vintners have opted for pollinator habitat. Uh, pest management was a topic. Certainly irrigation, water management design um, being the fifth of those, and carbon farming as well. So our vintners were all given the opportunity to choose one of these five studies uh, to be done over the course of this next six months. And from that, study, we will have uh, implementation reports of how they can implement these particular uh, studies. And our hope is to continue to go after these studies so that each of the vintners could potentially have all five of them or more done to their vineyards. So, uh, and learning from each other, implementing best practices, we can over the years study and implement uh, the, the, the reports that we receive so that we know we're achieving best practices. And also what is allowed, while those plans are being developed, mm -hmm. we get to work with the best of the best in the industry. So the experts that are uh, world-renowned experts working on developing these plans with our growers, with our wineries, within the collective, uh, we would have never been able to really pull it off. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got uh, Professor uh, David Montgomery, one of the leading world experts on regenerative farming and carbon farming, uh, helping write the plans. Uh, Dao uh, Teo, uh, helping with the transition to uh, organic uh, farming plans. Uh, Dr. Kent Dane uh, from UC Berkeley, world-renowned entomologist around building integrated pest management plans. I mean, these are the best of the best. They speak all over the world in regards to sustainable viticulture and agriculture. And so we feel very fortunate to receive the grant and be working with these uh, heroes within agriculture on our land. Yeah. And uh, I think, um, Kane, you'd be the, the better to speak on this, but um, if you could just tell us about transit, all these topics, the transition to organic and what that means. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, please. Please do. Yeah, tr transitioning to organics. Uh, so what that means is basically uh, there's four forms of w wine growing. There's conventional wine growing, which uh, allows you to basically use whatever products and means to farm the grape. There's sustainable wine growing that uh, makes you sustain the land and allows you to use certain products to farm uh, the grape. When you move into organics, uh, and also regenerative organic. Uh, what that means is you're starting to regenerate the land. And in regards to organics in particular, uh, you have to remove uh, insecticides. Uh, so no insecticides, no pesticides, unless they're organic. Uh, no herbicides, uh, obviously. And uh, planting cover crops, using compost, uh, using biocontrol. So you're using nature to farm the problems that sometimes arise with growing a, growing a crop. And so these transition plans help our growers uh, navigate some of those uh, challenges and come up with solutions. As you were mentioning that, it also occurred to me that, that sometimes how, 
how non-organics are used affect how much water you use because some of those non-organics may need to be um, evacuated, if you will, mm-hmm. um, from from the environment by by washing them away, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, and that takes that takes time, and that's why when you convert to organics. Uh, it's a three-year process because it takes a while to remove, to remove a lot of those that, products yeah. Yeah. Um, from the from the soils. We do have a caller. Let me go ahead. Um, Victoria, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Um, I'd like to know why wine and, I guess by extension, hard liquor bottles don't have a mandatory deposit for recycling like beer and other beverages. Interesting question. I, I, and I'm not sure my guests have an answer, but we'll... Um, is that come up at all? Um, that's not a question that's often asked of us. It's not a charge that we're given. I think that comes from a, more of a state mandate versus a winery mandate. And so I'm not in a position to answer that question, but you pose a good one. Okay. Yeah, I think it's something that we need to think about, Victoria. Thank you very much for the call. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question, and I think that becomes a factor. And one of the things in, with regard to recycling in California is the the places that you can um, recycle materials have mm-hmm. become very limited in mm-hmm. that process too. But um, Victoria brings up a, a, a good point that, um, that it, it goes beyond what we're talking about today, but I think it's uh, it's very valid. Yes, absolutely, and I and I think that um, in Kane, you do so well at this. I'll I'll pass the baton to you. Mm -hmm. But to really understand the definition of sustainability, a lot of people just think it's uh, it's a word without a lot of clout behind it. But it actually does not just look at the farming, but looks at the entire ecosystem. Would you like to address that? Yeah. So uh, sustainability is not just about how we farm our farm our land. It's about our communities. It's about the people that tend the vines and uh, work the vines. It's about how we. Uh, governed as organizations uh, as well. So sustainable uh, wine growing uh, looks at all of that within uh, the what's called the framework. So within the CSWA or SIP certified um, framework, it's not just looking at env- um, environmental issues. It's looking at you know, all those other aspects, which are given equal weighting within uh, within the framework. And the original study that I referenced to, one of the topics was looking at the materials that are used in production as well as in sales, so that there's a sustainable uh, angle on all of that as well. And if you look, generally speaking, at our uh, member wineries and those that are um, uh, certified sustainable, the amount that is put to recycle is very little. It's Much of it is reused and not wasted. And so I applaud the industry for that. Yeah. We're going to take a, a break for a couple of minutes. We'll be back with you. This is Central Coast Voices. We're talking with folks today from the Paso Robles Cab Collective, which is the Cabernet and Bordeaux Collective, and things that they're doing in looking at sustainability in agriculture and dealing with climate change and a um, remarkably um, usable grant they received from the State Department of Agriculture to look at these things as a region. This is Central Coast Voices. We'll be right back with you in a moment.
return now to Central Coast Voices with host Fred Monroe. Glad to be with you today. We are talking about the sustainability of the wine industry and the sustainability of the further sustainability of the wine industry by a better acknowledgement and understanding of of, um, climate change and also the fact that the Cab Collective in Paso Robles, that's the Cabernet and Bordeaux Collective, has received a uh, over $200,000 grant from the state of California to look at this and explore it. Um, I want to revisit one thing. Victoria, if you're still looking, um, my guests have some other information to share that um, did not occur to the conversation when we first caught you on the air. So um, please. Yeah, there's a, a couple of comments on that uh, just in the break there. Uh, there's a couple of companies uh, looking at a reusable wine bottles, kind of like milk bottles used to be. Uh, reusable uh, glass bottles. Uh, there's trials taking place in Oregon, uh, also in uh, Napa, Sonoma, in California. And there's a couple of companies looking at how this problem can potentially be solved. There's a big distribution like issue to try and work through. Uh, but it's starting out on the DTC side, like Winery winery Direct. So I think that's like really encouraging. And then secondly, uh, which I think is really exciting for the wine industry globally, uh, we're part of an organization called Sustainable Wine Roundtable, as a number of uh, other wineries are within California. But there's a bottle weight accord uh, that's just recently been released around lightweight glass and a transition to basically wine bottles of 420 grams uh, or less going into key wine retailers uh, around the world by the end of 2026. The average bottle weight's around 550 grams, and so it's a pretty compelling argument to move to a lighter weight bottle around carbon emissions and greenhouse gases, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's probably a mutually beneficial thing, um, c- concept to look at because th- so much of wine is not consumed locally to its production. Um, it's expensive to ship. And if, <laughs> if the bottle weighs more than the contents, someone's, someone's paying for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. Yeah. Um, Linda, when we, when we went to the break, we, we were going to talk a little further about about the study and the, the nature of some aspects of the study and some some evolution of that study beyond just what you got now. Right. With our $250,000 CDFA grant for ag conservation plans, um, the second uh, study that we are focused in on is really the pretty study. It's flowers and beautiful things through pollinator habitat. But I think, Kane, you'll do a better job talking about the beneficials and its effect in the vineyard. Yeah. So this uh, goes back to when you look at uh, vineyards really when you're driving around anywhere within California there's often not a lot of diversity within them and so what this study looks to do is bringing that diversity back to our vineyards the way they were growing 100 200 300 years ago particularly in the old world and creating these what are called these polycultural habitats of diversity so this study looks at at creating these pollinator habitat zones within vineyards to allow more beneficial insects to come into our vineyards and to hang out there and to feed on the pests that are either feeding on our fruit or or our vines. And that is what we call uh, biocontrol in action, which allows us to reduce our pesticide usage and ideally eliminate it. And how is that in contrast to pest management? 
Yeah, so pest uh, pest management is taking, uh, and that's where Kent Dane is helping us with his plans an integrated pest management approach. And so, that's uh, about targeted resources at specific times, uh, monitoring of certain pests. So instead of just using an insecticide, say for controlling a particular pest, making sure that there's traps and uh, that are being monitored on a regular basis to see if uh, if they reach a certain threshold before an action needs to be taken place. Uh, that also includes planting of cover crops as well and adding diversity as well. But it's very much an integrated approach to uh, pest management. And then that brings us back to uh, irrigation, water management, and those plans that uh, I think seven or eight of our vineyards are implementing. Yeah, so irrigation and water use uh, remains one of the biggest topics and issues within uh, the wine industry and really agriculture as a whole and uh, we've all got less water uh, so how do we effectively uh, manage the water that we have and so this study looks at the efficiency of irrigation systems uh, looks at the potential for hybrid irrigation systems in terms of uh, above ground and below ground systems and if there's uh, innovation that can be looked at between that uh, also looks at uh, rootstocks uh, clones, planting density, shading, and just all around uh, irrigation optimization within our vineyards. And tell me, Kane, um, I've seen shade cloth used in the vineyards as well, and that really kind of affects the, the irrigation uses. Additionally, mm-hmm. can you talk about that? Yeah, so it's uh, obviously really warm in, uh, in, in Paso, and if the vine uh, uh, is, and the fruit is exposed to like too much uh, light and heat uh, you can get like dimpling and like crinkling and uh, heat uh, burn of the fruit so shade cloth often uh, helps um, uh, regulate that uh, as does also growing like a bigger uh, canopy and so part of what we look at as well in these studies is trellis design in terms of how we're growing uh, our, our grapes is uh, VSP uh, or a modified VSP system, the the best way to go with a warming uh, warming climate. So there's a lot of uh, opportunity to look at how we're doing things and then how we adjust for the climate of the future. We talked about it a little bit, but I want to expand upon it. That when I look at the information you shared with us, we think of this and we've talked about it from a standpoint of what it has to do with wine production and wine mm-hmm. grape production. Um, one of your your studies was actually funded by, of all places, the University of Montana. Mm-hmm. So I would suspect that's because what you're working on and what you're looking at um, crosses over to many other types of um, of, ir- of irrigated agriculture. Because I, w- I would not think of the University of Montana looking at um, at viticulture. Mm-hmm. That I. They are a threshold for supporting um, the Western SAR grants as a whole, which is Sustainable Ag Research and Education grants. So they're, they're the holding company, if you will. And so, um, but we, we've had the good fortune of having a very good working relationship with them. I think they really appreciated our, our first analysis and report. And um, just most recently, um, in addition to the grant that we just spoke of from the CDFA, we just submitted this week for another Western SAR grant. Uh, in the study of cover crop 
and that will be a three-year installation if one um, in Q1 of 24. Um, we are going to be studying the vineyards in three different AVAs of Paso Robles, Santa Margarita, the Adelaide District, and Geneseo Districts. And that's a $350,000 grant uh, that we are doing in collaboration with the Rodell Institute. So very excited about that opportunity and possibility as well. I think it'll just continue to add to the vision that we're doing currently with the CDFA grant that we're working on. Yeah. Now the lead organization in Paso Robles is is the the Cab Collective. That's not all the wineries, and not all of the wineries in Paso Robles are are Cabernet and Bordeaux production. Correct. And How so is this affecting the the broader community, if you will? That's a very good question. And actually, we're not the lead organization in Paso Robles. Uh, Paso Wine is the lead organization that represents over 200 of our vintners and producers in Paso Robles. We work very closely with Joe Peterson and his organization. Uh, we are um, very focused in on the grape that is most ubiquitous in Paso Robles. Over 60% of grapes grown and produced in Paso Robles are Cabernet and Red Bordeaux varietals. Um, as such, we, uh, we are uh, very focused on that particular uh, sector, um, but completely collaborate with Paso Wine in very many efforts as well. So as we do this research, we're able to obtain these grants and, and institute them. Um, we share this knowledge not only within our membership, but within the community at large. Is it being shared? I, we think of wine production as, as truly significant, a major portion, if not the largest portion of agriculture in, in this, the county of San Luis Obispo. I believe, though, we are still in a, an environment where strawberries are produced. There's more strawberries produced by weight than there are wine grapes. That's correct. So I'm wondering whether or not the strawberry industry and other industries like that, because there are also broccoli and lettuce production and things like that, what they're looking, what they're doing to look at what you're doing about the wine issues um, in sustainability and climate um, issues? That's a very good question, Fred. Uh, and maybe I need to sit down with the folks at Driscoll's <laughs> and others. <laughs> yeah. Every year when the reports come out, I'm always startled to see that st there's more strawberry production by weight mm -hmm. than there is wine grapes because mm -hmm. it just doesn't seem like there's that many of them. Yeah. And that's uh, one of the benefits of this collaborative approach and the Cab Collective and also Paso Wine. Uh, have a great relationship with uh, Cal Poly. Mm -hmm. uh, we also are developing a great relationship, like Linda mentioned, with the Riddell Institute. And the Riddell Institute are the largest organic research institute in, in the U.S. And so uh, through collaboration between uh, the likes of Cal Poly uh, and uh, uh, the Riddell Institute, there is cross-pollination uh, excuse the pun, uh, between sectors uh, with uh, partnering with these organizations. And so already with some of the conversations we're having, we're being invited to field days, as an example, within the strawberry growers down in uh, Cal Poly and the new organic center that they've got down there uh, with uh, Dr. Matt Grissop uh, out of uh, Cal Poly. And so through this type of work, uh, it is exposing uh, us in the best way possible to other sectors and what they're doing. So ideally, we solve all of this together because this is not just a wine problem. It's not a strawberry problem. Uh, almonds or whatever it is, we're all in this 
fight together and collectively we can solve it. We can come up with the solutions. As you said that, it occurred to me it may also affect things like um, like grazing land for for well, a lot of California Valley is indeed cattle still cattle mm-hmm. grazing land because it's not it's not feasible to produce um, row crops out there in a lot of areas, but the, the cattle grazing still needs water and. Like it or not, climate change and water are are tied together, and mm. we we've I, I realize we're, we're repeating ourselves, but we're repeating ourselves because it's so it's so key. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, people are still not looking at the 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 interconnectedness, if you will, of all agriculture um, because it's what water is needed for and we needed to survive. Absolutely. And you asked a key question earlier about uh, the efforts on sustainability and what that actually means in the vineyard. And um, I have been personally uh, very impressed with the work Kane is doing in his vineyards with regenerative farming and the the quality difference that we have been able to see in his trial wines. Um, Can you share a little bit about what you're doing and what that means universally? Sure. Please do. So we started a trial three years ago as in like two days ago which is a transition uh, from sustainable growing into regenerative uh, organic growing so we're very proud that we're at the uh, tail end of that journey but every step of the way every year we've made wines from the sustainable farming lots and the regenerative farming lots and uh, can so we can compare and contrast over that transition what the wines are looking like we're also keeping track of yield data quality data cost data and we're have that set up as an open case study to industry with our quarterly field days where people can come and learn about what it's like to grow under regenerative organic um, uh, systems. And so it's been a yeah, really fascinating uh, transition. We're really excited about the results. It started out as a 40-acre trial. We've now got 130 acres uh, in conversion. And regenerative organic farming is basically organics, basically like um, organics plus. Uh, so it's uh, taking all the benefits and growing of organics, but then incorporating key principles around regenerating land uh, instead of just uh, sustaining it. So it's organics, then it's plus uh, cover cropping is compulsory, adding compost is uh, compulsory as well, um, incorporating animals into the farming system, so incorporating uh sheep i'm originally from new zealand we could talk for another another hour here about sheep (laughs) great great weed abatement tool tool. (laughs) yeah exactly and nutrient recycling uh, as well Uh, but one of the most impressive things about the roc which is the regenerative organic framework is the the human side that it uh, that it talks about and that's uh, about uh, paying uh, paying staff a living wage versus a minimum wage which in slow county is a, a huge uh, difference and just general working uh, conditions and collaboration between the staff and uh, people actually out, in, out working the vines so weekly communication what's going on what are you seeing uh, it's a massive uh, difference I'm glad you mentioned that because we had not thought about that and I think that's a key a key factor the more that agriculture and the wine industry can do to lower the cost of acquiring water, lower the cost of mitigating problems from climate change, um, raises the ability for sustainable wages for the people who who will continue to work versus a, a winery or any agriculture production 
facility that may have to look at their limited funds because they're literally piping in water from from a California water project or from other mm-hmm. sources in the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the things I w- wanted to back up, and it, it, it occurred to me sometimes, um, I've lived in San Luis County for almost 50 years, and I realized that the, um, the amount of wine, produc- wine grape production 50 years ago in this county, we used to think there were maybe, oh, gee, eight or ten Mm-hmm. successful wineries, and I think at last count there are over 300. I'm sure that's affected um, a lot of what you are doing, but it occurred to me also that that affects th- – there's still room for expansion. Um, there's a lot of land, I believe, that is already controlled by uh, by wineries but not under production. I'm wondering if there are areas that literally are not being produced or not being replanted with rootstock because wineries are looking at a limited water supply now. So someone who's maybe sitting on 400 acres of production right now, but sitting on another 100 acres of fallow land that they don't can't get the water for it. I'm wondering what is being done to specifically address that kind of dilemma for that may affect the sustainability of a winery that's already in existence. Well, I think I would uh, maybe point out to Continental Vineyard now celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. It's a 2,500-acre 20, uh, parcel um, on the on the east side of Paso Robles in the Estrella District. Um, they replanted over 500 acres of vines to a higher elevation, a new rootstock, which is uh, very, uh, very drought-tolerant and also varietals that are better suited for that particular area. So uh, collectively, these vintners and the uh, vineyard managers are all looking at different methodologies that they can employ to really be sensitive about their footprint on the earth and their water usage. That's that's an outrageously good point. I mean, that's truly a matter of using the, the land you have now more effectively which unlocks resources for other land you have that's sitting fallow. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Because you can't you can't just go buy a piece of land uh, with a m- memorandum uh, and just plant just plant the grape. Uh, there's a pretty strict process in regards to if you uh, if you don't have any water rights, you just can't. You're just not going to be able to go and plant a plant land. So what's happening is that Linda's right. All across Paso is. Um, Older vineyards are being removed, and then newer vineyards are being developed with better clones, uh, newer rootstocks, uh, different ways to grow the grape that are more climate resilient than what they were when they were first planted 30, 40 years ago. So it's kind of this like new wave of viticulture yeah. with climate in mind. We could probably talk for another hour. We don't have another hour today to talk about it. Um, but as as I've said, and most of my listeners are used to it, I, I talk too much and my guests don't always have enough time to get their last word in. So I want to give both of you the opportunity. Kane, I'll start with you. What do you want to make sure people um, remember about this and not only the wine industry, but how the wine industry is effectively using these kind of resources? Yeah, it would just be that uh, as a region, Paso Robles, we're so excited about the future. Now we've got tools and funding we've got this collective spirit amongst all growers uh within Paso Robles uh to really do something about this uh, so it, yeah it's just a really exciting next path of the journey that we're on 
absolutely and yeah to, to expound on that you know what uh what Kane and I and and others have been so excited about is to see uh, not only the the vision come to to fruition, but also to see the partners that have also come on board with us, from Cal Poly to the Riddell Institute, Wine Institute, the Vineyard Team, uh, California Wine Grape Growers Association. Uh, the the amount of support that we're receiving for the vision and and the methodologies that we're employing has really helped us with our grant acquisition, and their support is invaluable to us. How can people find more information about this? They can um, visit our website, which is PasaRoblesCab.com, or just search PasaRoblesCab or Amazing Cabernet in Paso, and we'll probably come up on top. And I suspect if they can't find you that way, pretty much any winery that they are talking with or visiting that is producing Cab or Bordeaux wines in Paso Robles, probably has your attention and you have theirs. I hope so. <laughs> Tell us again about the um, the other grant that you have that's coming up right now. Um, the other grant that we just applied for, and I did, there's no certainty that it will come to fruition, but our fingers are crossed. People should know about what you're working on. <laughs> yes, even, they even, if it's, even if it's not obtainable yet. Okay. Yes, we're working on um, a couple of different grants, actually. Uh, the one that I mentioned earlier is the Western Star Cover Crop Grant. Uh, that will be for the study of three vineyards and three different sub-AVAs in Paso Robles. Uh, that is uh, a $350,000 grant that will be in collaboration with the Riddell Institute. We'll also be working with Cal Poly as well as the Vineyard team on that particular research work. And uh, we hope to hear, fingers crossed, at the end of March, which is a perfect time to toast a glass of Cabernet. I, we've stayed away from this to some extent, but I'd like to, I'd like to ask now, there are, we still have a lot of climate deniers, uh, people who believe there is no problem, um, people who believe they want to just not think about a problem. Do you, do you often get people who are asking that very question, like, why are you doing what you're doing? Because, gee, there's really no climate problem. Um, we actually don't have too many naysayers in the in within the group, though I can't speak for the population at large. <laughs> um, and I would just venture to say that you know you can make your own assessments by looking at what's happening in the world, and um, just open your eyes to what the possibilities are or are not. And um, we'd rather err on the side of possibilities that we are observing. And so uh, for that, we, you know, we hope to uh, continue our culture, continue our winemaking, continue healthy farming well into the future and give our families and their families a legacy they could behold. Good way to put it. I thank you both for being here today. I think it is fascinating when we can talk about not wine production as a for a recreational benefit, um, I'm, I realize for some people wine is not just recreation, but it, my, my thought of it, it is a, it's a recreational beverage. But what you're doing is truly part of the, uh, the keys to agriculture and the sustainability. And we have, as, we, as I mentioned earlier in the last 50 years, we've seen an incredible growth of um, the wine industry. If you ask people about Paso Robles or even San Luis Obispo County as a whole with regard to wine production, 30 years ago, they would see us as insignificant. And obviously, the, um, the answers now in USA Today's study uh, indicates that we are more than significant and the wonderful, the things you're doing are wonderful. Thank you. 
Um, this has been Central Coast Voices. I'm thanking you for joining us today. My guests have been Kane Thompson and Linda Parker Sanpai, Sanpei, pardon me. And uh, they are from the Cab Collective, which is the Cabernet and Bordeaux Collective in Paso Robles and their efforts towards sustainability and their wonderful resources they've received from grants to make sure we can look at this and see what things are, are proceeding. Next week, we'll be back with you. I will tell you that next week's program has not been all finalized yet, so I'm not quite sure who we have visiting us. But we'll be back at Central Coast Voices at uh, 1 o'clock next Thursday afternoon. Um, we are a production of Action for Healthy Communities, which is a project of the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County, along with KCBX Public Radio. You can reach us by email at voices at kcbx.org. And thank you to Donna, our in-studio engineer today, and KCBX Public Radio for making this program possible. This has been Central Coast Voices.